Welcome back to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. My name's Jacob. I am a Christian. How are you this fine afternoon, Jamal? Oh, look, I am... Um, so today we decided to go on the juice instead of the coffee. And so we are we are juiced up, so to speak. No, the literal juice, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, not figurative juice. I, I, I feel like we're okay for people to think that we're on phys- physical, <laughs> me- metaphorical Have you ever juice. listened to um, cricket commentary? In Australia on the ABC. <laughs> yeah. And they'll talk about the cordials yeah. because they obviously don't want to talk about the beers on the air when little kids could be listening. Yeah. And so yeah, they yeah. talk about, oh, I went out last night, I had a couple of cordials. But we have genuine, actual bona fide juice on the table this morning. Yes. Uh, Christian and Buddhist walk into a bar this week sponsored by Boost Juice. <laughs> sponsored in the sense that. We pay them money and they give us a product. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of that very capitalist exchange, um, we have a... Uh, you, you, you've got an article this week, Jacob? Yeah, I've got an article this week that was sent into the show by Rebecca, actually. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, if, and if you've got a, an article that you'd like us to talk about, christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com and, is and, where you can find us. And please do send us articles because it saves us the work of having to go and find articles. And then we actually <laughs> talk about things that you care about rather than things that only we care about. It's good. This is true. And, and this is an excellent article. It's a Guardian long read from a couple of years ago entitled The Mindfulness Conspiracy. Um, and it takes us through kind of not the evils of mindfulness per se but perhaps it's misuse in the contemporary west the the little spiel up the top says it is sold as a force that can help us cope with the ravages of capitalism but with its inward focus mindful meditation may be the enemy of activism Mm. and i know this is a topic kind of close to your heart jamal because mindfulness um obviously has roots in and around buddhist meditation yes um so there were, there were kind of two themes to this article. So I, I want to probably tackle the the root theological theme first, which is the, the general statement that's made here is that, you know, Western mindfulness as we understand it is uh, rooted in Buddhism and really, really drawing on Buddhist practices. However, divorces itself from Buddhist ethics. And, you know, it's a kind of attempt to take... Buddhist application and apply it to a context that doesn't have any kind of rudder. So we might just backtrack mm. a a little bit and and just first of all talk through what mindfulness is. Mm. That's probably a good point. Um, Yes. So so mindfulness um, is, I guess awareness is probably the best way of describing it. So um, I feel it's a, a... technique that you can practice to help yourself be in the moment and and kind of see and experience what's going on around you but also your own emotions and reactions to that right yes it's generally uh developed through meditation practice um but it's observation so you know a very typical mindfulness practice is um body scanning where Mm -hmm. you sit and you uh, are aware of the various physical sensations going on in your body and you're aware of them. Uh, you don't judge them. It's not like, oh, my knee is hurting. That's bad. I better move my knee. It's kind of like, okay, I'm, my knee has a f- sensation that feels painful and I'm noticing that pain. Um, you also have mindfulness of the breath where you're just observing the way your breath is. And, you know, different to say a technique, which is, you know, try and slow your breath and really take deep breaths. It's actually, no, I'm just... So you're observing. not trying to change anything. Yeah. You're just seeing what what is. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, um, and you know, it's a it's a generally um, 
you know, well-founded theory that, you know, leads to, at least in the Buddhist conception, it leads to a kind of awareness of the body and of the mind because you also then apply it to your mind, right? So you're having a thought, you're having an emotion, you become aware of that emotion without then judging and reacting to that thought and that emotion. Um, so, yeah, so, so it kind of leads to this point of, um, of, of, of concentration and awareness and one-pointedness that then facilitates your ability to, to delve into the deeper states of meditation, um, in, in Buddhism at least. Okay, and, and the difference is that in mindfulness you, you don't delve into those deeper depths of, of meditation because it has, you know, it, it, it's cited as having anyway, like just, you know, positive mental health outcomes like it, it's a it's a good thing to be aware of ourselves and to to feel our reactions and have it that a, a great awareness of our environment and so on right yeah and uh, you don't not necessarily delve into those deep states of meditation but i think mindfulness is a kind of um preparatory practice mm-hmm. you know it, it's one which you know it helps facilitate that it's not necessarily considered the deeper states of meditation in its in and of itself Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, but it, it definitely does have really good benefits for your life. You know, um, if you are aware of, uh, you know, how you're feeling, particularly when it comes to the emotional sphere, you know, I think, um, so much of our problems in the world kind of can get traced back to a difficulty. A lot of us have with understanding our own emotions, regulating, regulating our own emotions, um, Working. Why do with I feel them. how I feel, and and what do I do with that? Right, like yeah, you know. Oh, okay, okay. I feel frustrated about whatever it is. Do I lash out in anger, or do I you know get all depressed about it? Like, how do I respond to that? Yeah, and being aware of those emotions and aware of what's causing those emotions, and you know th- that that level of awareness supports us in general to be able to, uh, you know respond better to respond mm-hmm. in ways that are healthier more in line with the ways we want to be in the world so where's it, it, is it a problem if we take this practice that helps us to respond better helps us to be aware of how we want to be in the world and and take it out of its kind of native environment of buddhism um and and just have it as a standalone practice well, and i think where's this, the issue there? this is the crux of the question that i think the article gets to which i which i really like um and the answer is kind of twofold. Yeah, you know, I think, I think the the initial answer I want to say is it's not a problem, right? I think that uh, at least how I understand it, mindfulness can really be supportive of your life. And I'm not at all advocating against using mindfulness in a non-Buddhist context. I think it's um, it's helpful. It I know there's a lot of people I know that have had a lot of benefit from it. It's used in a lot of um, psychological therapies that with, with a lot of success. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 I want to say off the bat, I do think there is absolute benefit from using mindfulness-based techniques to help anybody in any scenario. You know, I, I don't think there is fundamentally a problem. So mindfulness is kind of like a, a, a net good, if yes. you like. Yes, yeah. I, I think it is a net good. And I think fundamentally... Um, what is being done with the kind of secular mindfulness movement is probably better for the world than it is harmful for the world. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, more but people. I'm not being sure the article. I'm not sure the writers of this article would necessarily agree with you on that for reasons that we'll we'll delve into well, either now or in a hypothetical well, part two. I, I think the writers of the article are pointing to the negatives, sure. and I think 
I, I agree with all of their assessments of the negatives, but I think that at the end of the day, though, there are positives, right? And, and you know, and I think the, the you know, uh, Ronald Purser, who's the, the author of this article, doesn't delve too much into the positives, probably because they're just either instinctively known or they're just kind of, you know, in the public zeitgeist as it's just a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I don't think there is a need to delve into the positives in the article, but I think if you were to put them on balance, you know, yeah, sure. I think it's net good, right? Okay, yeah. That doesn't mean there are not problems, right? And so so the, the more nuanced answer I have is that when you start to remove the ethical foundations from mindfulness, you start to run into issues. Um, okay, so, so talk us through that. Yeah, okay. yeah. so I, actually, I, I, can I, can I, I'll give you a story. Okay. Um, so there's a story of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar. Um, and you know, you, so it's very early. We're in the going early. Yeah. It, it, it's 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 very useful actually in this episode. So this <laughs> Christian and the Buddhist walk into a bar and they run into uh, a woman there who is really depressed and they go, oh, what's, what's going on? She's gone. My house has been robbed. I I, I lost. You know, she's quite a wealthy. Oh, woman. you know what? You have told this joke before. Oh no, I've I'm told sorry. this joke before. I've, yeah. Oh no. All right. I was reassuring you before the episode. We'll cut this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, no, no. We don't have to cut it. It's fine. We we, we, we can roll with it. All right. Well, I'll tell this. I'll retell the story and then I'll have to find a different joke for later in the episode. Brilliant, yeah. right. But the, the, the general story is that uh, a woman, uh, a very wealthy woman has uh, been robbed of all her things. And, you know, and the, the situation in which she got robbed is she, you know, she, she left her house uh, to go to the monastery and uh, to go and pray. Um, she told her security guard, hey, be really mindful of... Um, of, of you know of robbers make sure there's no robbers coming in and security guards like yep yes ma'am we'll do that um she leaves she comes back everything's been robbed and she goes to the guard like what were you doing what, i told you to be mindful exactly yeah. right and, and the security guards just like oh i was mindful i saw the robbers come in and i saw oh robbers coming in i saw them take the jewelry oh robbers <laughs> taking the jewelry I, I he was really they, aware they of his surroundings yeah. right yeah and and i think what that what that joke kind of articulates is this idea that it's like it's you know, being just purely being mindful without actually knowing what to be mindful of and the ethical frameworks of how to be mindful, it doesn't lead to any good outcomes. You know, the, the analogy that I that I like to use for this is like, you know, Google runs mindfulness training for its employees. Yeah. And what you get with mindfulness training at Google is a bunch of people that are much better at selling you ads. Mm-hmm. which in itself doesn't actually add to the net good of the world, right? And so it's like, you know, I think taking mindfulness away from an ethical foundation and from a foundation of, um, of you know, it doesn't have to be well, Buddhist so I was going right? to say, it doesn't yeah. matter what ethical foundation it is because, it, like, you know, the, the execs at Google might well say that, that actually, you know, selling ads well is is a good thing and actually this is a, a defense of advertising in general right that like if you if you show some something to someone that they didn't realize they want but they then wanted it you've, you've actually created a net good for them because you've given them information and they're able to make a, a better decision about what's going to bring them happiness in life or or whatever or, or google might say well like do you not want targeted ads that are actually going to be about things that you're interested in rather than whatever random stuff you might otherwise get like that that's a that's a system of ethics isn't it sure but, but whether or not you believe that that's a net good for the world or not i think that the key point is that it is that mindfulness is only a mindfulness tells you how to do something better it doesn't tell you what to do 
And the system of ethics underpinning your mindfulness, wherever that comes from, is the the structures of what to do and why to do it. Mindfulness just so, gives so you for the, instance, the I can notice that my knee is painful and go, oh, my knee's painful as I'm in mindfulness. Mm. But that that knowledge isn't of much value to me if I don't then know to go see a knee surgeon and get my ACL fixed or like, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it has to be a Buddhist ethic, right? I, I, I'm not of the opinion that mindfulness is only ever, you know, good in a Buddhist context, right? I, I think mindfulness as a Christian practice could be great. I think mindfulness as any theological practice could be great. But I think my argument is, I think the argument that is that is made in this article is that it is really important to have some kind of ethic underpinning your mindfulness, right? That doing mindfulness without ethic um, leads to more problems uh, than it, you'd want it to and just like, you know, it, it starts to move away from the core good of mindfulness, and so it, does that core good of mindfulness need to be pointed like what am I trying to say here? That there's a, a line in the article here that says mindfulness has been oversold and commodified, reduced to a technique for just about any instrumental purpose. Like does it, is there just one or two things that you should use mindfulness for or could you use it for anything and, and are there dangers in using it for anything absolutely right like right. um mindfulness is a tool right like sure. I, I, I mindfulness is and, and so it can be used you know to sell better ads as you were saying yeah. before yeah yeah and my, my, mindfulness is like a kitchen knife right you can use a kitchen knife for its intended purpose which is to chop food and feed people and generally you know do nice things or you can use it to stab somebody right like you know like you it's but you could also use a, a kitchen knife that's designed for cutting apples to cut pumpkins yeah and then you're going to blunt it and it's not going to be terribly good at cutting apples anymore like is that a danger that can happen with mindfulness if you use it for the wrong purpose it kind of becomes less effective less valuable in in what it's actually for so i mean this is maybe where we get into some tricky questions of the ordering of things. So, I mean, instinctively, I would probably say no. I think mindfulness is mindfulness. You can, you can, you know, you can build mindfulness, and if you use it for the wrong things, then you're just being a bad person. But you're not. Yeah, you know, it doesn't actually impact the the trait and quality of mindfulness. But mm -hmm. I think probably some of the more traditional Buddhists might divert from that. And so this goes back to I think I've described this before about this kind of this this three. This, again, it's, it's, it's Buddhism in numbers kind of thing. But there, there's a kind of a three-part process in Buddhism of sila, samadhi, and panya. Um, so sila being um, ethics, samadhi being mindfulness, and panya being wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of, you know, it, it, it's kind of just a very broad umbrella kind of description of the whole Buddhist process. But it's this idea that you build an ethical foundation for your life and you live according to ethics and then you apply the mindfulness practices and the meditations and whatever else, and then that leads to wisdom. This is kind of related to what we were talking about in the relationships episodes, right? Mm. That you've got right view and then right action. Yes. Like they, they go together. And your mindfulness would fit within your – well, within your reflection on your right action almost. Yeah, like, well, well yeah. mindfulness could be right action, right? Yeah. But it's not necessarily right intention. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, when you think about sila, samadhi, and panya is – you know, it's this thing of ethics are an underpinning foundation for your mindfulness practice, right? That, um, and 
the biggest argument there is the one, the one we've been making, which is that you need to have an ethical foundation in order for your mindfulness to be um, to be pointed in the mm-hmm. right direction and for, in, order for, in order for it to lead to wisdom. Um, but, you know, th- there is an argument that is made there that, you know, well, actually, without the ethical foundation, your mindfulness will not be as strong and you will not be able to develop mindfulness in the same way because, you know, and, and again, this gets into kind of the nuances of like, well, if you're sitting in meditation and you've done a bunch of unethical things, you're going to be caught up in those unethical <laughs> things that you've done and not be able to develop as much mindfulness, which might be true, but also there are lots of psychopaths out there who wouldn't care at all about their unethical actions and probably could develop mindfulness. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit And, and it might help them with, the, as you said, like you can use a knife for a variety of purposes. Yeah. 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 Is, there a, so is there a Christian concept of mindfulness? There's a Christian concept perhaps of awareness and I, I should have looked up the passage beforehand I was talking to someone years ago um, and there was a, a passage that Paul wrote in the New Testament in, in one of his letters um, that that someone said to me years ago was you know it struck them as just mindfulness of of having an awareness of um, where you are and your place in the world as it were um, and and I guess this language gets summed up in, in talking about being in Christ and seeing the, the world in the way that Christ does it. I mean, that's slightly different to this sense of having an awareness of like, well, exactly where am I and what am I feeling? Mm. Um, but it's, it's the sense of yeah, being, being caught up in, in who God is and what God's doing. And then out of that clothing your actions in love it's 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 almost seeing seeing the world with faith and hope and then acting in love as a consequence of that so is it an awareness of god like you know is it awareness of awareness of what role god is playing in all things yeah an awareness of what role god is playing in all things is probably a good way to to describe it just give me two seconds i'll see if i can find the all right yeah, the yeah. actual passage that i'm thinking of so Whilst you're looking that up, I, I think you know th- this kind of leads us to all this discussion leads us to the next kind of big point that the article makes, which is around this idea of um, mindfulness, mindfulness being devoid of ethics, leading to mm-hmm. this kind of concept of um, the individual responsibility for. Uh, the problems of the world or the problems of the individual and that being kind of antithetical to a more radical revolutionary perspective of, um, you, know, abs- you know, being aware of the, uh, the structural systems that are causing problems in the world and how that is causing issues for individuals, you know? So, you know, and the, the, you know, the examples that are used to this idea of like, Oh, well, if you're really upset that your boss is treating you terribly, uh, you know, you just have to learn to be mindful and learn to kind of be at peace with that rather than actually unpack the concept that your labor is fundamentally exchanged in, in an unequal uh, and imbalanced way and that maybe you should, you know, address the structural root causes of, of labor imbalance and and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, I think, is where Christian practices adjacent to mindfulness approach it differently because it's always about life lived in relationship it mm. it's the the end of kind of i mean i guess right right view to put it in the buddhist terminology is seeing how 
I relate to God and how other people relate to God and knowing myself as within those relationships mm. um, and not just knowing myself apart from that. Mm. Um, the the closest thing that I've, I've got just kind of off the, the top of my head um, comes from Paul's letter to the, the Colossians in chapter 3. And it, it's not... It's not quite the same thing as mindfulness as a practice, but he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and also be thankful. Yeah, see, to me, that sounds a lot more like the Buddhist practice of loving kindness than mindfulness mm-hmm. per se. But I, I, I get the point that's being made there. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, to come back to where you were before, before I jumped back in, mm. the, the idea that mindfulness kind of can take this individualized sense Oh, yeah. yeah, so the, the, there's a quote in the article that I want to read here. It's quite good. Um, what remains is a tool of self-discipline disguised mm-hmm. as self-help. Instead of setting practitioners free, it helps them adjust to the very conditions that cause their problems. A truly revolutionary movement would seek to overturn this dysfunctional system, but mindfulness only serves to reinforce its destructive logic. Right, and I think you know this really gets to the heart of the criticism, which I, I do fundamentally agree with, right, that, that when you have mindfulness without a sense of ethics and without a sense of uh, targeted direction for what you are pointing that mindfulness towards, it lends itself to a way of understanding the world that is really caught up in just, you know, that I am mindful of the problems and I can't change the problems. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think... My, but but my, is that not fundamental in some sense to the, the Buddhist conception of it, it and and how you know existence is suffering right like and it's not that you can change the suffering but you change how you relate to the suffering like it, isn't that a fundamental tenet of buddhist practice and buddhist belief um yes and no right so like so what w- what you've said is correct right so so there there is a tenant you know that talks about you know, suffering is somewhat inevitable. It, is, it will always be present and you can't necessarily try and just, you know, change and avoid it. But I think, you know, there's, there's a there's a kind of... um. It, it comes down to interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, there's a... You know, if we talk about Buddhism as a kind of product of... a kind of more traditional Buddhism and one which, say, um, in places like Thailand where... Buddhism is used as a kind of um, as a way of justifying the status quo a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Almost like a folk religion kind of, yeah, you know, or, well, or a national. Religion yeah, I was going to say yeah. nationalism more than a folk religion, but yep. yeah. Um, but I think that you know, in those scenarios, you can you can absolutely see that argument being made, right? That you know, you shouldn't question your lot in life. It, it, it's it's almost like the, the the Hindu kind of caste argument that, like, you know, you shouldn't question your lot in life because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to live a better life if you just um, accept it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you and even in that scenario where it is underpinned by ethics, it's like, well, those those, those ethics are around, like, you know 
very about individual action, about how you just, you know, interact with yourself and your people around you. And so, you know, li- you know your sphere of influence is very small, so just make that as good as you can um, and then be mindful of that and whatever. You know, don't, don't question the fact that the, the military dictatorship is in charge of everything and, you know, controlling your life. Yeah, just, and, you but, know. but just don't be attached to that. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, so there's absolutely... There's absolutely a line of argument and a line of Buddhist thinking that does go down that line. But I think if you look kind of more deeply into the Buddhist teachings, what you see is a kind of it's, – it's this balancing act that goes on between it's, you know, change what you can change but don't don't be attached to being able to change it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it, it's – um you know, it, it's – and I think that there's a lot of – uh, a lot of instructions from the Buddha about, you know, going yourself and discovering things and about, like, you know, trying to engage with uh, the process of doing things yourself, um, you know. And I think when you apply – and, and again, I, th- I think maybe maybe we're getting stuck a little bit in the weeds of the kind of the specific, like, you know, following the Buddhist path in, you know, in a really literal sense, and I think when you apply it in a less literal sense and a more kind of a metaphorical sense mm-hmm. about how you should live your life, I think there is an argument to say, well, the Buddhism teaches you to be aware of a situation and be aware and mindful of the things that underpin it and to, yes, take personal responsibility for being okay with your situation and not getting attached and not getting kind of too angry and upset. It, it, it a, a Buddhist response to an unjust situation is not to go and blow a building up or go and like you know actually <laughs> commit violent yeah, revolution yeah. or anything like that, right? Um, but there is a kind of sense of like, well, if there is injustice, if there is a system that's not working, like you know, if you're aware of that situation and if you if you if there is an opportunity to take action and do things, you know, I Buddhism is Buddhism is kind of silent on. To me, at least my reading of Buddhism is it's kind of silent on whether or not you should take action. Right. But like, isn't that the the exact critique that the author is getting at here on mindfulness? Is that mindfulness on on this reading is silent on on whether or not you should take action and what action you should take because it's been divorced from an overarching overarching ethical narrative, um, and because it's silent that's implicitly discouraging the kind of revolutionary action to overthrow the capitalist system that I think this author would like to see, right? Well, I, I mean, and I don't know. I, I think the criticism is actually that, that mindfulness without the ethic is not silent on action. It just limits your action to only be about your own feelings. You know, so... Uh, well, but uh, like that... That comes back to like you know what, what ethic because I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make an assumption here mm. that most people who are practicing mindfulness have an ethical framework or other by by which they live their life like that might be more developed in some people than others but I mean I, I think that is a big assumption right I, I think that the point the article is making that there's a lot of people in the world that are practicing mindfulness without it well. I'm, I'm assuming they have ethics in other parts of their lives, so right, like that they're, that they're not just a an unethical kind of blob. But the po- the point that the article is making is that there is a an overarching social narrative of ethics in the West, which is around individualism um, and subtly reinforces 
the status quo. Mm. And that because mindfulness isn't telling you whether or not to take action or what action you should take, then it gets sucked into that ethic of individual responsibility and action and doesn't address any of the systemic and social problems and challenges. So, okay, so and I, I, I was searching, but I can't exactly remember if it's in this article or if it's in a different article we, we, we had on the list to discuss. <laughs> but there's a really, really beautiful point that is made somewhere um, around this idea that there, you will always have an ethic, right? Right. Like, you know, that that there, there is kind of no void that is not filled by some kind of ethic. That, that's what I mean when I'm saying, like, yeah. everything. everyone who practices mindfulness is going to have some yeah, kind okay. of ethic or yeah. other. Yeah, and I, I take that, right? But And I think maybe the point here is that if you take it away from the Buddhist-rooted ethics, ethics, where the ethic is very much about, um, you know, kindness, peace, um, you know, self-responsibility, if you take it away from that, it will, that void of... of you know, mindfulness just sitting on its own, it'll get filled in by the ethic that you have, which, you know, could be, you know, liberal humanism or yep. capitalism or whatever else, right? And so, but that ethic coming in, I think, and again, I, th I think this, this comes back to this point that mindfulness is kind of neutral in this argument, right? That That mindfulness is a tool of whatever ethic underpins it. Mm -hmm. And so that that if you don't attach it to an ethic that is critical of, of the systemic issues, you then it just becomes a tool of the systemic issues, right? Right. That it's encouraging yep. individuals not to question the status quo in the system and instead just take personal responsibility and just, you know, deal with it themselves and, you know, just deal with the fact that your boss is terrible, right? Um, to go back a little bit, I, I again, I think I still disagree that the Buddhist ethic is one of, you know, kind of passivity to the extent that it reinforces the status quo. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I think, you know, Buddhism is about, you know, I, I think that there's a tricky line to tread here between acceptance and action, and Buddhists often argue about this, right? And there's a kind of, there's a sub- line of buddhism called socially engaged buddhism that really tries to push this idea that you should be politically involved and you should yep. challenge systems and and all of that it, it's it's a fringe theory because it's not super mainstream in in buddhism but you know there is that discussion there but but i do think that um and, 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 and sorry and, and may, yeah. maybe maybe this is the core point that i'm trying to get at right as in buddhism is so explicit about uh, kindness mm -hmm. and about treating people with decency and about, you know, the baseline way of being in the world is one of love and one of supporting people and one of, like, helping others, that I think any attempt to use Buddhism to justify a system that does not do that, even if there are Buddhist teachings around passivity and around acceptance... I think that you know, passivity and acceptance is almost a second layer to the core layer of care for people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a system that does not care for people, I don't think you can make the argument that Buddhism's uh, Buddhism's teachings of you know change only what you can change and be at peace with the world sits 
you know, it's, those are only there in the context of a world where people are being cared for and where, where the fundamental core tenets are those of kindness, you know? Yeah, okay. And so, and so you know, I, I think you can make a logical argument that says, well, Buddhism says you should just, you know, be at peace with things. But, you know, if you're at peace with things in Burma where they're killing civilians, I, I, mm-hmm. I think the structures in that system are so anti-Buddhist that... You know, there is a Buddhist imperative to change that, even if it's not explicit. So there's a question there around violence and extremism mm. that we'll come back to in a in a future mm. episode. But like, I I guess I'm I'm wondering a little like love and care. Like I, I love that. I think that's mm. great, and I think that is that does underpin the 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 nature of reality as it should be. Mm. Um. But, but isn't part of Buddhism that it doesn't really have an, an ought? Like you, you've said before, that, you know, well, there's like good and bad, who can say? Mm. Um, and, and it sounds like to me when you describe that, that, that people are, feel loved and cared for, that that actually is a, an ought that should be happening, that there is some fundamental good in that. That the Buddhist ethics is is pushing towards, yeah, and, and I I think we we run back into our age old problem here of Buddhism being more comfortable with contradiction, right? Um, you know, and this is something we've we've kind of circled yeah. on a lot, but um, but I, I think it does hold kind of both to be true, right? That fundamentally in the structure of the universe, yeah, there is no ought, there is no self, there is no good or bad, and again. I, I think you talk about layers of that, right? So Buddhism kind of goes theologically, fundamentally, there is no self, there is no good or bad, there is no ought way of being in the world. But also the minute that you're not there, the mm-hmm. minute that you are any step away from that, then yes, absolutely be kind to people and absolutely, you know. Because that's how you get to that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah exactly right. So yeah, so and, yeah. and it, there's an acceptance that that's somehow contradictory, right? Right. The, the, well, the, so, so yeah, because this is where... Christianity would take the the different view mm. that actually that that love and care for others is the bedrock mm. um, of on which of what you know what reality should be and what will be mm. and and the ideal state isn't being unattached to all of those mm. things but is being wrapped up in yeah. all of those things it kind of almost removes a step in a sense from from what you're describing yes and I, I say that because I've discovered the the verse that I was looking for, which is actually in Paul's letter to the mm-hmm. Philippians, um, which reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Mm. Um, and that strikes me probably similar to, to the other passages I read previously, but that that kind of mindfulness or meditative practice isn't so much focused on 
what's going on inside of me, but it's actually like looking outwards at, well, you know, God and the nature of God and what is true and honourable and right and pure, and focusing on those those things. Like we, again, probably related to what you were saying before that. Um, it, it's what is mindfulness geared towards mm. and what is it leaning into. Uh, and I think in in Christian thought, all of these practices are always pointing somewhere. It's never self-understanding for the sake of the self, but actually self-understanding for the sake of, of living well in the world and for the sake of the other. Yeah, and I think in Buddhist practices, it is that as well. I think mm-hmm. it just also comes back to you know, it's well, what 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 it is pointing towards is getting to a point where you can understand there is no self and there is nothing to point towards, right? And so, it, 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 yeah, I, I, that's a really good way of describing it, right? Is I think that, and, and yeah, maybe this gets to this core conversation we keep having around, like, what are the core similarities and differences with Christianity and Buddhism, right? And I wonder whether that that's an interesting layer of that, which is that, you know. Buddhism wants to add a layer beyond what Christianity wants to mm-hmm. add. That are almost like the Christian concept of God and living in God's name and all that kind of stuff is really similar to the Buddhist concept of how to practically live in the world and how to actually walk the Buddhist path. But it's just that Buddhism wants to add an additional layer to that, which says, well, once you've done that, you'll get to the point where actually you realize nothing's real. You know, yeah. we're actually beyond that there. You know, and, but it's only through walking through that. Uh, path and walking in that way you actually get to that second layer yeah interesting yeah it's something to unpack in future it is well and, we'll probably keep unpacking it oh we will always unpack it we'll, we'll never <laughs> stop unpacking this. um I, I i do want to maybe um flag uh we should probably do a second episode on this article because there's a lot here and there's a there's a bit that we didn't get to which i think is tied into the neoliberalism part around um mindfulness and the kind of commodification of mindfulness, which I think is a really interesting discussion to have um, kind of separately. So maybe we'll deal with that next episode. Sure. Um, but before we do go, um, uh, there, there, there was, a, there was a, a thing I was reminded of here, which is this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar. Um, and also, this, this is a bad one. I'm just going just gonna to flag this now. Um, well, Cameron will use yours eventually. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be better than this. Um but um, they walk into a bar and they see a bunch of mice sitting there, uh, mm-hmm. and, and all, all, all the mice are sitting around. And like you know, they're all, they're all dressed in like you know, kind of Gregorian monks outfits. And it's like you know, and they walk in and the Christians like, oh, I feel like this is like a, a Christian sect. So they go up to the mice yeah, okay. and they go, you know, who are you guys? Like, what are you doing? And they go, oh, you know, we are we we are we are the Christian sect of mice. You know, we, sure. we, we are we are the mice Christians. And they're like, oh, what's the mice Christians? Like, how do you understand what's going on here? And they go, ah, well, we're the same as every other Christian, except we worship cheeses. Yeah. 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 Maybe the worst we've ever done. Yeah. It's up there. (laughs) It's It's definitely up there. Yes, and and on that lovely note, um, we will probably leave you, and you can you can unsubscribe <laughs> now. Um, you can you can click that button and, and get out of this. Uh, get out of this. Um, you can get in contact podcast. and send better jokes to us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail That's true, and and please, if you are enjoying this and you can put up with my jokes, please share the podcast with a friend. Uh, it helps us a whole lot. Uh, thank you also to Kevin McLeod for the music. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you to Rebecca for sending this article in. Uh, Yes, we will see you next week.